What up, y'all? I'm Candace Otis, and you are listening to Hungry and Humble Podcast, a podcast that explores the current lives and different journeys of women in the hospitality industry. Thanks for coming out. This week, we sit down with our first official guest, Sophie Hirsch, a fellow colleague and good friend of mine about her life being a server and sommelier and her love of people, food, and gatherings. Let's get started. Hi, friend. Hi. How are you? you? Oh, it's so nice to see your beautiful face. Oh, stop it. What are you pouring? Ooh. Um, So Lyoko is actually a great friend of the the restaurant that we worked at. Um, And it's a Carignan Rosé, which is usually from the south of France. It's great, but I opened it two days ago, so it has to be drunk today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I did that with a... um, a Chardonnay. Um, it's called, it's, the brand is called like Duckhorn, mm-hmm. I think. Um, not bad, but I opened it for two days and I was like, well, <laughs> yeah. at, at one point I was like, maybe I should mix it with some orange juice. <laughs> Cause I was like, I just need it. It, it needs to go away. Cause I wanted to open another bottle. I say live your life. <laughs> <laughs> Living my best life. Hey. <laughs> That's why I think that I'm like not a real song is because I'm like, whatever, drink whatever. Yeah, drink whatever you like. You can yeah. do whatever you like. Yeah. Um, thanks for coming one out. One of my funny acoustic covers, actually. <laughs> I'll play it for you sometime. Oh, yeah. I would love it. So I've never done this before. <laughs> Me neither. So. so girl, we gonna wing it. Okay. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> Hi. Uh, podcast universe <laughs> fans of Candace. I am probably one of the biggest fans of Candace. I um, am a hospitality professional, something I believe to be true about myself. I have worked in restaurants since I was 15 years old, um, designed my own major at a liberal arts college to be able to focus on culture and food and the food ways that are uh, made up of how people make up their identities through foodways. And I just think restaurants are the most exciting creative format to me. And through that is how I get to my real passion, which is people. And I love taking care of people. I love sharing moments with people. Um, I've just found so many special experiences on all sides of either working or dining in restaurants and also some extremely deep, loving creative friendships so i'm really feeling happy to be here um and yeah i don't know let's do it (laughs) (laughs) thank you friend um let's expand on since you were 15 years old my first job is kind of a remarkable story actually so um not many people know this even if they're aware of the restaurant but there is this tiny little restaurant or well it's changed hands and has moved now, but um, that was only in the last two years um, in the Pioneer Square neighborhood of Seattle called Salumi. And that was Mario Batali's father's Salumira. Mario had no hand in it, but his father was one of those people that was a Boeing engineer, hated his life and just quit and moved to Italy to learn how to make salami. And- <laughs> It's amazing. And then opened up this um, mostly like wholesale production uh, space that had this tiny little like, I think there was one, one table that maybe sat eight and like two tiny deuces in the way, but it's mostly just this sandwich counter. 
And when I was a kid, my father was a uh, freelance editor, writer, and so he made his own schedule. And um, I'm super fortunate that both of my parents have a love of dining and I was able to grow up with that privilege and experience. Um, but anyway, so my dad would go take breaks or have lunch or do whatever he wanted. And he was in there all the time because we lived pretty close by. And one day Armandino Batali sat down and said, I always see you in there, in your, in here. Who the hell are you and why are you always in my restaurant? <laughs> and so after that, our family became close regulars and friends um, of the Vitali family. Dad, when he was short on work, even worked the sandwich line, which is funny to think about because he always wears really nice shoes. But, um, and <laughs> Not so Mario, it was <laughs> kind of one of those things where when I was like legally able to work, I guess maybe 16, not 15, um, I, it was just, I was like, this is, this is where I want to work. And so it was a summer job. By that time, um, Armandino and Marilyn, and Marilyn just recently passed away a couple weeks ago, so I mean, she may her memory be a blessing, but um, uh, their daughter Gina and her husband Brian um, had taken over the business, and they gave me my, my first job, um, and I was sometimes on the sandwich line, but mostly I was like busing. Uh, the lines at Salumi were around the block because of how small it was, but because of how good it, it is. Um, <laughs> and they would do this thing sometimes where they'd go hand out like samples, like slices of the salami to like kind of keep the, the line happy. And um, one of my favorite stories of that job is that they do some hot sandwiches and hot specials. And one of the best ones I've ever had there was this pulled braised oxtail. And mm -hmm. I was just like a kid that didn't understand restaurants yet. So I would always be like, you know, when's the, when's the oxtail coming? When's the oxtail coming? And then one morning I got there to work and she said, Sophie, the oxtail's here. You're going to want to wear two gloves because it's very hot. So go pick it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, and I just when oxtail too. that restaurant is, I mean, it, like I said, they, they, it's changed hands and it's in a different location. Um, now but it was just it, the people that worked there like there was a different cashier every day of the week but they were like family friends um it was it was all it was all family you know the people that worked there and the food was so simple and nothing fussy but it was i mean i think it really truly laid this foundation for me about the power of something delicious mm -hmm. and the power of something that is simple that is offered with a sense of warmth and care um, yeah, and it's it's kind of interesting to see how few and far in between a lot of those spaces are, and I think it's it's it was lost, but now it's it's coming to find more and more these days because it's like like you just described like one of your fa first and favorite like memories surrounding food, and it's just like that is similar to mine in the sense of just like opening your your eyes to a whole new world, and then understanding also that it's beautiful in its simplicity you know what i mean like it did it didn't have to be this like crazy whirlwind you know what i mean like it just tasted really good and these people like just love to make food and they really cared about it <laughs> like what a concept like i said it has been lost for a hot minute but i think more and more these days it's easier than it was to have fine like just integrity you know what i mean yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that that has a lot to do with like history as well. And as like the dining became something to cater towards more 
higher, I mean, excuse me, upper middle class, upper financial class people, it became something that had to indicate that it was not only unique because of it being special, which Mm -hmm. I think that Salumi is that entirely unique and special, Yeah, but it had to be unique and like unattainable. So I think that that kind of happened like when like Wall Street started getting big and like eighties and nineties and just this idea of like opulence being a way that you could prove your social status. Yes. Um, but it also, I mean, not to knock that kind of dining because it exactly gave, it gave chefs this, like when I say that food is my, my favorite creative medium, like imagine having all the resources in the world. Like what, there's so many weird molecular gastronomy gadgets that have like what's an anti-griddle like that thing you know what I mean like that like that I know him close my mind nah 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 um we go way back though (laughs) I'm just kidding I mean I think like any art form and especially any cultural movements everything has to evolve and change let's talk about your uh college experience yeah because sure. you did something that I've never heard of before where you created your own whole ass major so, and then like went with it <laughs> yeah um so like I said I I worked at Salumi um for summers when I was old enough I worked at other sandwich restaurants in Seattle I have like pretty deep sandwich roots I said I said that to someone yesterday actually I got deep sandwich no sandwiches I mean okay. including including Subway I did a little sandwich artist in too I mean girl don't knock it and five guys yeah you got you gotta have a job sometimes okay right <laughs> um and I did this fancy honors program at my high school called the international baccalaureate program and then due to some stuff in my family at the time I failed a class and didn't get the full diploma. And when you get that full diploma, it pretty much gets you into college as a sophomore, essentially, is like the reason why kids do it. And I took a year off. And that's that's when I worked at Five Guys. I moved out of my parents' house. Um, I worked at Five Guys. I worked at a bunch of other different places, just living, working, taking some community college classes just to stay in school. And then I applied to colleges. And so I ended up getting into this extremely fancy private school called Pitzer College. And I was really privileged to be able to go there. But because I was kind of okay at uh, literature analysis and had been in choir and a little bit of drama as a kid, but never, I, I'm, I'm someone that doesn't really have much like aptitude, but does a lot of different things because they're interesting, but I've never been like very good. At <laughs> I do a lot of different things pretty okay. Um, but um so I didn't know what I wanted to do when I got to college so I took like a psych 101 class I took uh some visual art I ended up with a studio art minor just because I wanted to keep taking art um I I tried sociology I tried these all these things but every time I'd come home um I would find some sort of job in a restaurant and um because of the the liberal artsness of this college, they have a thing where you design your own major. And this was after I decided to do a major called organizational behavior, which is like um, the effect of team building and uh, like the psychology of work and what makes people effective at work. Um, and I was like, well, if I like restaurants, this is the closest thing to liberal arts business that I could take. So I'll do this. But then I found out that you have to write what, 
something in retrospect seems like a very short proposal to get your own major approved. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> like in retrospect, it seems very, very easy that I did like this. Um, I just, yeah, I just had to pick, I had to like... pick classes. I had to get an advisor. I had to have an idea of what I wanted like a final capstone or thesis project to be. Um, and I kind of feel like I, it was my way of making college. Like I had this, I, I realized what a genuine privilege I was had to, to be there. And I was like, well, let me just do what I want. <laughs> so I kind of like was able to skip over all the important economic class and probably organizational theory classes that I should have taken. And I ended up with, um, was it seven or nine, somewhere in there, seven, let's say seven classes, distinct discipline so like sociology is one history is one I took an Asian American studies class which that was the best one um it was taught by this Hapa queer performance artist who used food in their work and it was all about um Asian American identities being built through food ways and history and that kind of thing and it was my first experience uh being the majority in the minority because I was Mm -hmm. one of like three white people in that room and it was Mm -hmm. just like a really powerful experience but also delicious (laughs) (laughs) but I have this made-up major called uh the culture and labor of food yes and there's seven distinct classes from seven different disciplines I did two independent studies one was a media studies class where I just kind of watched food television and talked about it and then interviewed chef Susan Feniger at the end because she was an alumna of my college and then the other independent study, I manipulated my way into working one prep cook shift a week in the dining hall and did like the the dining hall as a case study. Um, and um, I ended my major with my capstone project where I did, because when you think about a thesis in college, it's supposed to be cumulative. That's like the definition. It usually never is. It's usually like, oh, you studied women's literature. Like here is one paper about one specific work that it's a huge paper, but it's about something super micro. And I kind of like was like, I don't want to, I do want it to be cumulative. So I got this idea to do a pop-up dinner. And in that way, I was going to do a small scale organization from scratch, which Mm -hmm. was the organizational studies part. And then my menu, each dish represented one of the classes. It was an interpretation of the classes. And yeah, it went horribly. I mean, I had fun, (laughs) but none of my friends that said that they would work for me would show up for training. Oh, no. Um, I didn't do R&D properly. So like I like the plates did not look plated you know it was just like get the food out of the kitchen get the food out just go 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 Um, (laughs) but uh and it's probably the one and only time that I will ever be a a chef quote unquote but um it was it was just this amazing opportunity that I had to be able to stay centered in the things that I think are are interesting which are people and culture and through the lens of how identity is made in food and um it was, it was weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's, I've, I'm always very impressed to see young people that are dedicated and passionate about what they do. And then just like being like, well, why not? <laughs> why couldn't I do that? Like, let's just, let's just, let's just try it. And it's like, yo, you got a whole ass major out of it. <laughs> That's dope. Yeah. Like I, I said, I'm grades too. I managed to keep that GPA up. <laughs> Hell yeah, girl. Cause you chose it. Shit. Yeah. You know, everybody could, like you said, you could have been an English lit major and, you know, like, 
banged your head against the wall. But you didn't and probably still ended up working in restaurants, actually. That was okay. my joke. When, when I, I would say that all the time. <laughs> I got my major declared and I would say, everyone that graduates with a bachelor's is with me is going to work in restaurants and I'm the only one that's excited about it. Yes. <laughs> yes. I used to say that all the time. I forgot about that until this moment. <laughs> Do you think that you wanted to work in restaurants way even before you went to college? Like for the, re- like not, f- but for the foreseeable future, not like for the rest of my life, but. I think so. I've never really, I think having to do with that, what I mentioned before being like, okay at a lot of things, I've never really had something that um, jumped out at me or was clear to me necessarily as like, oh, I'd like to be a psychologist or I'd like to be yeah. a trombone player or um don't be a trombone player it's Although, oh no it, it's very difficult and like you have to be amazing and then you'll make a lot of money but even then it's like you play like a million instruments right you can play <laughs> such a musical family that's what i was saying like i can vouch for you girl like, <laughs> <laughs> my dad and my brother are professional saxophone players and it's like wow yeah, you need and i know you play bass is that your that's your main instrument yeah that's one i claim you know what i mean but like yeah. you, you know how in like high school everybody's like oh yeah i played the clarinet for like five minutes you know and it's like that's what i'm like i have a mandolin that lives in underneath my bed I've played my mandolin like four times I don't know yeah. why I have it um yeah I, got well, it. <laughs> I, I mean I started on violin and then I transitioned to oboe because my father is very kind um and then I played oboe which sounds um yeah this is a PSA for all you potential oboe players it is the most difficult um instrument ever to play or to learn <laughs> but that didn't stop me and also um it sounds like a duck is being just horribly just <laughs> taken advantage of yo it's just it it's not great um so if you suck it's not gonna be great um and if you're good then you can get all the scholarships and um tour the world if you really want to but you also have to practice and it's awful anyway long story longer then i played bass in all the bands and then i played tuba which is like the world's tuba's dope but it's also the dumbest instrument like <laughs> I was like, and you know me, I'm like 150, 160, like hauling around this big ass tuba (laughs) after school. And I remember what I told my mama. I was like, ma, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to play the tuba. (laughs) And she looked at me like I have four heads. And she was just like, um, and she didn't want to, you know, like knock down, like, you know, like she wanted to be supportive. And like, I was still in band because that was really important to my family. Music's very important, you know? And I didn't want to play the flute anymore because that's what my sister played and my mom played. And like, I just did. But I and the tuba was the way you blazed <laughs> your trail. <laughs> I was like, because I needed to play something for marching band. I already played oboe for woodwind. I played I bass for jazz. And I was like, I need to play something. And I was like, and it's badass, you know? And, I was, and then I did it. And I was like the first girl in like years to ever do it. Hell yeah. Of course yeah, it, it was so dumb. Uh, but I actually don't regret it because apparently I love that. That's awesome. Um it's that sounds exactly like you. You're just like, <laughs> I'm gonna decide to do this and do it well. And it turns out that you're the first person, first female to decide to do it and do it well in a long ass time. That sounds exactly like what I know about you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um it was heavy. That's all I'm gonna say about that. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was about 25 pounds on your shoulder. It was real dumb, but it was dope. Um, I had a lot of fun. Anyway. <clears throat> I mean, I think your your question, we but this is exactly my point that was that as I really truly believe that those of us that choose restaurants 
have of this wealth of creativity that, but you know what I'm saying? And so it's like, we did that tangent, even though it sounded like a tangent, I don't think it is because I think that for those of us where this isn't, I mean, I think restaurants are this amazing industry where pretty much anybody can get a restaurant job. And that's, I mean, that's what's going on in our country right now is that most of us are out of work because the restaurants are closed. But I think that, um, that's what's so incredible is that there's space for you to hold multiple skill sets, multiple identities, multiple, especially those of us that are doing it with intention. I think that you're inherently a creative person. Um, so your question was if I chose restaurants and I think it was more that, um, Restaurants chose you. <laughs> I was going to say that. I was going to say more that nothing else really called to me in yeah. the way that I have loved dining and the community. Yeah, I agree. And I believe that the beauty of restaurants is like you you can have these multiple creative outlets and skill sets and nurture them. I just think that yeah, those of us that we've chosen this, or as you say, it chose us, but. Um, <laughs> I think that they're uniquely this industry holds space for people to, to not only do this industry. So I completely um, agree. Honestly, I think just because of the way my mind has always worked and I've always been very headstrong and very passionate and very like determined. And I also like, (laughs) what me? Um, No, this is for the two listeners out there right now. No, uh, (laughs) Um, well, they're both my parents. I'll tell oh, you. I was gonna say, <laughs> one's my mom. <laughs> yeah, okay, so one's my mom. There you go. Those are our my two mom's like, what's a podcast? So, <laughs> Ma, you know what a podcast is. You just don't know what a podcast is. Like, okay, well, that sounds nice. Um, <laughs> um, hey, mom. Anyway, hi, mom. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I asked that question just because I didn't realize a lot of people didn't figure out what they were wanted to be when they grew up in that nature you know that that when they were 12 years old you know what I mean like that doesn't mm-hmm. happen to everybody like yeah there are grown-ass people right now over the age of 30 that are like yo I'm still like figuring my shit out and which that's is I feel right now I'm well, that, like yo like no like that's dope uh, you're trying that's great you know what I mean not everybody is me in the sense of like like I know exactly where I need to go I know exactly what I need to do and like these are these are the things that I want these are my dreams I'm gonna make them happen Can you describe to me what you think is so special about restaurants? People that work there and the guests that come in are the medium for the Mm -hmm. creativity, especially working where we just worked at the progress where um, my, my favorite guests were people that were already excited to be there. They had done a little bit of work themselves to understand what we were about. And then my job was literally to just give them the warmest and most comfortable experience of something that they had already decided. Like when you go to a Van Gogh show, you know, you're going to see Van Gogh. Yeah. I think restaurants are like that too, but I think that the make or break it is the human element. So I think that for me, I just like, yeah, I have memories of like, I, I was born in LA. I lived there till I was nine and my parents, used to go to the um the farmer's market that's now the the grove or something and yeah. I have a 
such a vivid food memory of that Creole stand and the muffalata sandwiches. Oh. And then we'd go to the sticker store and we'd go and get peppermint ice cream from the old tiny ice cream place. And that's like burned in my brain forever. But it was always something super, super wonderful. And similarly, they're like things like making friends as you become a regular in a restaurant. And um, I think that there's this like inherent care care as an active verb in hospitality. Yeah. Like I think that we're always looking to take care of our guests, take care of each other, take care of, I mean, again, at the level we work at, I'm, I can't speak to um, other folks, but just we were really fortunate to work with restaurants that, that, that work with small farms that care about the environment, that care about the community. Um, we, work, we worked for good people that, that cared about people. And I think that that's what makes great restaurants great. But um, not to knock that there can't be moments of joy in Taco Bell sometimes. Girl, I mean. What's your Taco Bell order? That's a good question. Okay, actually, I am more of a McDonald's girl myself. Okay. Uh, well, just because, please. I mean, I don't mind Taco Bell in the sense of like, you know, that's $20 for a colonoscopy. But <laughs> I. I, I mean, I, I mean, you know, it's the cheapest one you ever go get. You know what I mean? It'll just run right through you, bad boy. Oh my God. Making colon into a freeway, Jack. But <laughs> I'm more of a McDonald's girl just because. Okay, what's the like, order then? Oh, dude, like the perfect order is like they're either like their buttermilk chicken sandwiches or if I'm feeling like a total just like, I just want to just like be like Mrs. Pac-Man where I just want to just like gobble, gobble, <laughs> gobble. Nom, 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 I'll do the goddamn chicken nugs. You know what I mean? I love the And nugs. then like a large fry, the largest like kind of wish they still had supersized me just so I can get the biggest order. I love McDonald's is the best fast food fries. I oh my god, they're I amazing. They're the best fast food fries. They're so also good. a nug nugget girl, nuggo. Yeah. Um I sometimes because I used to love McDonald's like the dollar cheeseburger so much. Yeah. <laughs> when I go to In N Out, I will get my In N Out cheeseburger, just ketchup pickle uh, mustard, raw chop onion, like the McDonald's burger, but it's in and out. So it's better. Yes. Their meat is superior. Um, I haven't had a, I haven't had a, I don't think I've ever had a Big Mac in the sense of like, I don't remember having a Big Mac. I'm sure I've had it once in my life, Yeah, but no, but yeah, it's nugs. Nugs. Nug life. Nug life, baby. Or the chicken sandwich. Like, that shit is bomb. Or the McChicken that's only a dollar. Woo, baby. Oh, my God. With the shitty, like, shredded lettuce and the mayo. <laughs> and then, like, a like a pounded out ground chicken just fried and then, like, a sad bun. But it's only a dollar, so you can't hate it. And then, like, a strawberry shake. That's usually my oh, yeah. like to dip. I love a Butterfinger McFlurry. Oh, dude, okay. Did you always think that the straw or, like, the spoon the was spoon the, straw? the straw? Yeah. We always would try to, like, like yeah <laughs> and it would not work out no. oh man uh, every time and, then, and i'd forget each time i'd be like oh it's been forever time. since i had one of these oh man were you a happy meal girl because as a kid for sure yeah my, i had you know i had my brother and my sister and they were older than me so like my brother would always be like man let's get the happy meal like because you know he always wanted like the toys and shit and i'd just be sure. like i just want the fries or the puzzle on the back yeah <laughs> Yeah. They used to actually come in the little like cardboard happy meal. I know. I remember that shit where you could play in the playpen and it wouldn't be like super Oh my gross. god, yeah. 
I mean, it probably was super gross, but whatever. <laughs> but we didn't we didn't know about germs yet. You know yeah. I mean? <laughs> like that's still when we were like fucking with Chuck E. Cheese, but it was like, oh my girl. god, I had this amazing adult <laughs> realization driving by a Chuck E. Cheese. I was like, wait, that is a small building. That Chuck E. Cheese is small. Yes. In my memory, it was huge. It was. So <laughs> the pizza was so bad. I felt so bad. I mean, like, we loved it and we ate it up. Don't get yeah. me wrong. But, like, I, I, I look back and, like, feel bad for my parents for begging them to go to, like, Toys R Us and yeah. Chuck E. Yeah. Cheese and, like, you know, like, that, that shit that you always see in the commercials. You know, like, Mommy, Mommy, I really yeah. want to go. And it's just, like, and they know better. And they're just, like, maybe another time. Or they try to be, you know, nice. And they're, like, well, you know, maybe for Christmas or, like, here for your birthday or when you win that award or whatever. Like, special moments. Because, you know, we was comfortable. <laughs> when you win that Tuva award. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, my, I, have, I have a good mama. She's great. Um, but, like, she had three kids and a full-ass job. And, like, you know, like, damn. <laughs> like, she didn't have time to drive us to, to Toys R Us. Or to Chuck E. Cheese, you know what I mean? And they're yeah. also, like, really gross and, like, totally <laughs> expensive and the pizza's not good. And but just... see, this is, like, exactly my point, is we just went on a huge tangent on what is, quote-unquote, the worst quality food. But because we have families that make these memories for us because you and I grew up in the same time frame, in the same place, actually, because I was in L.A. as a, a young kid, and then Seattle is, I mean, West Coast, similar culture. Yeah. Um, we just were able to go on this tangent of laughing and, and hilariousness based on these, quote-unquote, terrible fast <laughs> food places, but that's my whole point, is that it's the people, it's your yeah. own memories, and even... And it was cheap. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's special for some people, too. I mean... Yeah. Is there any advice that you have been given that has helped you um, in the past? That could be job-related or not job-related. Oof. Um, yeah, plenty of it. Um, I'm a very sensitive person, so I get kind of the same advice a lot about, like, slowing down, not letting things affect me so much, and that's both good and bad advice, I feel like. Um, I feel like parts of my career have been so successful because I am vulnerable and open to relationships mm -hmm. with people, with strangers. Um, a lot of my closest friends are people who I would go to the restaurants in which they worked, and I, I self-describe often as aggressively friendly, so I just would be aggressively friendly and now they're some of my my best friends um you were um I've, i just want to say it for everybody out there that you are the most sociable person i've ever met in my entire life what does that mean like <laughs> i love to see how vulnerable and like open you are with meeting people because it's like i because you know me i'm like i'm a, i'm an extrovert but i'm also an, like i'm an extroverted introvert in the sense yeah. of like you have to like come up to me and then we can start talking and like once I feel comfortable like hell yeah like we gonna we gonna talk about things but you're like hey I'm Sophie like what's your name what do you do like I would love to learn more about you because I'm just interested and I am just so amazing and it's just like damn I wish I wish I had the balls like that that's what I'm saying I mean I, I just feel like that's I don't know for me that's like the golden rule you know I, I want to be known I want people mm -hmm. to ask about me 
So I ask, I ask about people. Um, that's the thing. But, a lot of people don't think like that. <laughs> they're just like, it's like, it's like self-serving like, to me. So <laughs> no, like, like, I want other things. friends, so yeah. I'm going to ask you about yourself. So you'll be my friend. <laughs> like, to me, it's not, it's not thoughtful to other people. It's all about me. But, um, <laughs> but back to kind of the point is like, so it's, it's a thread that has followed me throughout my life, even before restaurants. Um, but it's, it's a weird two-sided thing in terms of being sensitive is that I do need to sometimes take the advice that I've been given. Um, but also because I cannot stop caring because <laughs> my heart is so soft and squishy. Uh, oftentimes that has been actually a, a, a benefit to me and to my relationships and to even sometimes my hospitality. What made you want to take the sommelier exam? So I was actually, I mean, it's a kind of funny thing to admit, but I didn't take my certified sommelier exam because I was so desperate and excited to be a sommelier. I was, I had been thinking about wine for over a year. I had taken this exam. I had worked this harvest and I was like, well, this is the path that I've been going on. And this, I, I was going through some pretty bad mental health in 2018 around like February ish, I want to say. And, um, I was, I don't know, I've just always been someone that's trying to be solution oriented. So I was like, well, if I set myself a goal, then I'll have something to work towards. And that's what the certified exam became for me. Not necessarily because I'm like really obsessed with wine. Cause what I'm really obsessed with is people. Mm -hmm. And, and I just want to add that like the average, I just looked it up. The average person that passes um, is like three to 8% of applicants. So this woman is a badass. I'm just saying <laughs> you took that test and you passed. Oh okay. That's a weird statistic. Okay. Yeah. Well, according to Google, I mean, I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I still had a really hard time studying. I would go to the bars that I'd like and have a cocktail and like bribe myself. <laughs> That's what I do. I drink like French 75s in the sun in the patio at Prize Fighter in Emeryville and we'll be like, today you're going to read everything about Germany that you can. Yeah. Um, it's still very, then, very, 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 very impressive. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, thanks. And That's then back, when I, I had some jobs that didn't suit me in that year. And then that's when I, I got my job at the progress in September of 2018. And the progress is my favorite restaurant. That is why I wanted to work there. I, when I worked up the street at Pizzeria Delfina and was making not very much money because I was working part-time commuting from Oakland, but still loved food and dining. I would sometimes go into the progress for like one dish it, yeah. it has made, I have, I remember the set from the anchovies, which are the reason that I fell in love with the progress from, yeah, 2017. And I started working there. No, 2016. I don't remember. Anyway, I've loved the progress. <laughs> it's been a hot I, minute. It's been a minute that I remember the set from <clears throat> at least a full year before I started working there. Yeah. Um, and I, I would go in there and that would be just like a, a treat for myself. And so for me, there wasn't, um, it wasn't wine, even though it was a weird, it was a weird choice in terms of a wine career. Like if I passed, if I really was like driven to be a sommelier over anything else, I would have gotten a job where I was a junior som or a captain in a restaurant that had a sommelier team. Um, 
and had like a bunch of wine education was really driven in that way. And the progress is just such so much more. Like, I mean, the wine program is incredible and the wine team there is incredible, but like, it's just so much more of like a holistic, yeah. uh, which is a funny word for a restaurant, but I, <laughs> I like, I mean, we have the, the, the farm and, um, and all the other small farmers that they work with and, um, I just think that it, I, I was very proud to be a server there. Yeah. I also happened to be someone that had passed this exam, but it yes. wasn't another wine step. And so I kind of stopped studying wine because yeah. for me, again, people and bad at uh, routine kind of means that I need some sort of outside accountability <laughs> to study, um, which is kind of embarrassing to admit, but I'm a human. I'm flawed. Um, and I was just really happy to be a server there. Yeah. And so it's interesting to see kind of like, especially now as our industry is so forever changed to see what kind of jobs exist, what I have the skills for, yeah. what I will be driven to learn the skills for. Yeah. Um, Would you say that but, you took the, the SOM test to just see if you could like, yeah. And because I was depressed and I was like, well, if I'm going to help myself out of this depression, a goal will help me. Awesome. And I was like, this is, it was, it was a mental health tool more than it was being really excited to learn about the soil type. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I, I believe that people that are, I know some exceptional sommeliers and they are so dedicated and beautifully obsessed that the fact that there's one kind of soil on this side of the hill and another kind of soil on this side of the hill to them makes the wine taste exceptionally different. And they're, they, they, they're dedicated to knowing these things just because it's fascinating to them. Yep. And for me, I need to have someone to talk to about that to make it fascinating for me. It's not the fact, the facts about the stuff is not enough. Understood. (laughs) No, I know what you mean. I mean, I don't know. Do you feel that way? I mean, I've seen you cooking some really beautiful things for yourself, but obviously I'm sure, do you feel that way ever about food and and people to share that with, or is it you're able to kind of do that for yourself and learn for yourself? Yes and no. Um, For a long time, I've been working towards the goal of eventually, hopefully owning my own restaurant, right? And then to achieve that goal in my mind, I want to, and the concept that I wanted to achieve in that future hopeful restaurant, I wanted to learn specific techniques and specific styles because I wanted to use that later on. And it wasn't up until I moved back to California lately, so the past year or so, and being in San Francisco and learning more about a food that I'm not really familiar with, which is like modern American, I know, but it's more Asian influence. No, but to finish that, it's just like now I've been experimenting more with recipes that like, and honing in more on things that I love to cook and like the ideas of it. Um, And it's been actual a weird blessing this time being at home. I don't know if I told you, but it's just like, I get to like go grocery shopping on the internet (laughs) because I don't have a car and I need them delivered. But to an extent of being like, Ooh, what do I want to eat this week? And I made like brisket one day and then lobster mac and cheese the next. And then I made (laughs) girl last night, I towed up. I had a, a beautiful lamb chop with, 
blanche like green beans and like um, a rosti like potato um, and then I made like um, hollandaise oh yo with a nice pinot I made girl I was licking the plate it was so good <laughs> I forgot to take a picture because I ate it so quickly but it's when, like I stuff like that. Chicken, when I made that buttermilk chicken I just stood over my counter and I ate half of it with my yes! <laughs> yes! um, right now and it was like yes it was just so joyful yeah it, it was so it, basic and I was like I'm gonna fuck this up I was consulting <laughs> like multiple cook friends like, how do I cook this chicken they're like it's just a fucking chicken so if just, we just put it in the oven <laughs> just put it 350 girl and just let it go uh, I think it's a lot funner to design my own menu and to an extent you know what I mean and then just like expand on what do I want to eat today and also what do I want to learn more about today I've definitely been looking at cookbooks more and more these days and reading more about them. I can't bake in my kitchen because I live in a, um, a, a San Francisco studio uh, yeah. with hardly any counter space and um, a convection, a, a little baby convection oven. <laughs> and it, yo, I mean, it's great. I make creme brulee in there. So I like, know, we chill I've been out. pumping out. We, like, so exactly. It's like, we can do some stuff, but like at the same time, it's hard to make bread and croissants and you know pastry dough and yada 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 and also really in blueberry muffins in the beginning of yeah that was an example of like something I've never made before but because every time I cook I surprise myself it comes out good <laughs> and I'm like what that worked <laughs> and like I've never cooked anything like this before how did I make that happen and then I have to remind myself that I have I mean I'm 29 so 13 years of being in and around restaurants caring about food, paying attention yep. to food. And especially with, I mean, my blind tasting is so rusty and, and shot, but like paying attention to things like that is like, oh, I actually do have some sort of palate for balance. And because I worked in restaurants, I know how much extra fat and salt I need to put in things. And so, which is normally the, the home cook's fallacy, you know? Um, and I, made these muffins and the recipe didn't call for this, but I'm like, what if I brown the butter though? And I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't know where that idea came from, but it did. It came from, it came from me. <laughs> and it made, like, I mean, I'm sure the muffins would have been perfectly delicious if I had not browned the butter, but I was like, oh, these are very, very good because I did that. I was so proud of myself. So I was like, wow, now you're thinking like a cook. <laughs> Something that I always loved about cooking is because I'm a very spontaneous person I'm also incredibly controlling which is infuriating um, that's a very interesting dichotomy there <laughs> but I love to throw shit against the wall and just be like let's just see what happens like and then you're chasing you're like oh that was a mistake but at least now I know like <laughs> or you're like wow that was really great like you said brown buttering like the perfectly good um but now perfectly amazing god blessed pastry chefs and their attention to detail and their patience and them understanding like by the gram is by the gram like they they have such discipline that god I wish I had inherently you know what I mean like you can learn obviously and like I'm not saying cooks can't be you know like can't make pastries and I'm not saying I'm always surprised when my baked goods show up because I like especially living by myself like having recipes and or quartering recipes and things like that and I'm like but you can't like I don't have a quarter of a teaspoon so I'm like that looks fine yeah. like, <laughs> what is this gonna rise that's either too much or not enough baking soda we'll yeah. find out 
<laughs> or like when you stir it when you should have folded it and then it's like it's really sad when it bakes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like it's like a brick. Like I said, I I just I give so much props to pastry chefs and just people that like bake for a living. Not even just scientists. Quote unquote. Yeah. Literal. Whole ass like they have to follow the science. And then it's also as physical as savory cooking. Yes. It's like a, a scientist savory cook. <laughs> yes. Yes, more or less. Um, but I, I just give it to them because that's a lot of work and like a lot of, I mean, don't get me wrong. We work hard too, but at the same time, it's like, it's just different. You know what I mean? It's a different. Well, you can adjust with most savory. Yes. Cooks. You can yes. taste it in the middle and be like, okay, so this is how it is at this point. I know it's going to cook four more minutes further and what will happen when that sauce reduces is it going to get saltier probably so I'm not going to add salt right now like that, that's how savory cooking works and baking you like put it in the oven you're like I hope you're okay <laughs> yes I will treat you I always think of a great British baking show um oh my god I love that show versus chopped <laughs> where they're just like yes um how how glorious the bake is and they're just like sitting um they're like sitting and their their feet are swaying back and forth right and like, well I just hope that it's all right and they're like sipping on tea and just chilling and then it like cuts to chopped and like people are like sweating into the soup and like why is the ice cream machine working it's like dude why do you keep going for the ice cream machine okay just make a damn dessert like oh anyway um one of my favorite rumors i ever heard about the great british bake-off is that the original hosts the two funny little ladies yeah um would apparently whenever a contestant would cry because something was like not coming out right they would go and stand in front of them and swear like sailors so that the footage wasn't usable oh yeah they would just like they're just so much better at that than we are (laughs) cuss it out like just like swear even if the producers it doesn't seem like they want to because it's like a very kind show i think but if they wanted to use that footage, that it wasn't actually usable. That's dope. I love that. That makes my heart it's so legend, But it's one of my favorite things I've heard about. No, it sounds right. They're dope. And like Mary Berry is a bad bitch, yo. Yeah. <sighs> Mary Berry, she would just, ah, uh, she would just slay them and just be like, I like the crumb. Um, but you know, what about the bake? You know, she would just be like, it, she knew her shit, but she was also like, not a total fucking asshole about it. You know what yeah, I mean? She yeah. was just like, this could be better and these are the ways that you can improve not like yeah, calling him a slimy awesome. piece of shit so nice yeah oh, i love that show what is something that most people don't know about you i mean i guess the other thing that i already mentioned is like my studio art minor and my like mediocre background in music as those are not necessarily things that people would know about me because they're not something i'm very practiced in and it's something that i Again, I just wish I was better at creating a routine for myself, um, that I could create some mastery around these things. But um, yeah, I just kind of think of myself as a generally creative person, but not necessarily all that masterful or skilled. (laughs) Preaching to the converted, sweetheart. I'm telling you right now. Oh, shush. I don't know if I ever told you this, but my dad... I have have really great parents and my dad always said like, Candice, you can be anything you want in life as long as you're not a Patriots or a Cowboys fan. (laughs) And and I was like, thanks dad. Um, 
and I guess this goes back to um, the best, some of the best advice I was ever given is my dad would always say, you can be anything you want, just make sure you're good at it. And when I say that, I mean practice because practice is, and you know, he's a musician. So like he already has that mentality, but he also understands hard work and just that strong work ethic that both of them has ha have instilled. But like I said, he's just like, make sure you're good at it like make sure whatever you do like you become good at it it's not necessarily natural talent because that's no. great and that, that's important um and luck is great too but make sure you practice and make sure you work hard and you do something about it you know what i mean and that will definitely make a difference for whether or not you're successful and your happiness is involved because that's important too so um, i love that i mean i think that that's just been something that I, I wish I was a more disciplined person. Um, I think that the kind of academic education that I had, and especially in college where I kind of like manipulated that for myself, I don't want to say like coast because mm -hmm. I still worked hard. I did, but um, I didn't have to work super hard at things that weren't familiar. I, I picked things that were more familiar. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's something that is a really important and interesting principle as like now that our industry, as we're still in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis, there's so much um, that is unsure about the future of the industry that you and I have chosen, um, that I'm starting to do some research and to get into like advocacy and community organizing work and i don't really know exactly how to do that but i'm trying to reach out to folks to learn those things and to me that seems like a great way to stay in line with what i've been saying this whole time my values are not food or wine but people and community yeah. and making sure that things are equitable um and so i've been doing some advocacy work and trying to find other ways to get involved. And especially if my job as a pretty fine dining, I mean, I, I've never worked in fine dining. I will say, I, I, I hope that if our wonderful bosses hear this podcast, that they will not be upset to hear me say that I don't necessarily consider the progress fine dining because it was so comfortable to be in there. I think yeah. for guests, I think for we, did not have to wear uniforms. It made me feel like I could be a person. It made me feel like I did not need to be uptight and regimented. Yeah. Just, um, That's what I describe to others um, is that aren't in our, you know what I mean? Like that aren't in our industry of just like, it's very approachable Yeah. and it's very welcoming, but the, the food is still on an elevated Level. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a Michelin star restaurant. That's yeah. one of my favorite Target stories, actually, is like in my first or second week there at a table, I remember exactly where they were there at table 24. And uh, this guy says, oh, so they got a, a Michelin star next door, huh? And I'm like, sir, you have Michelin star at your dinner right now. <laughs> but, Suck uh, it and eat it and enjoy. <laughs> they had a great time. They were just kind of surprised. Um, but I think that that's that's also a testament where it's like I didn't pursue a career as a sommelier necessarily because of that discipline maybe not because of it but that is an aspect of it that I'm not so yeah. practiced in Find as well not so practiced in the rote 
elegance of it. Um, I'm much more, I like to say I have Muppet tendencies. Um, and I don't really want to dim that, dim that goofiness. Um, it makes me happy. It makes other people happy. But I think that as we're at this unknown place about what kind of jobs exist, um, in our industry, that that is definitely something that I need to to put some focus into is the practice is the discipline um try and try and make myself have these things for myself this routine for myself which is not something i've ever really been successful at but um i'll take your dad's advice too about that (laughs) yeah he said work hard and practice Uh, my mom said it too but like it's just one of those like you know like bleeding memories that you have with your father or your or you know just like your influencer your parent you know somebody but he always told me that and I was just like huh okay and then I I I repeat that story back to him like he questions it not that the fact that he didn't say it but he's like trying to remember when that happened and then he was like well you know I'm you know I'll stick by it you know he doesn't he does not remember the cowboy or the 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 Patriots man oh yeah exactly he's like shoot yeah I mean I still stand by it but he like you know at first he'll be like yeah okay that sounds about right that sounds about me that's my best uh, dad impression at the moment. Could you uh, tell me about some of your be- favorite moments and also worst moments um, being in this industry? And they don't necessarily, if you don't want to call people. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. I think that there's like special moments that um, I would say that some of the worst moments I have to take ownership of too. I'm not someone that has... Um, been very practiced at we'll start with the worst and we'll end with the good ones how about that yes Um, I'm not someone that's been very practiced at understanding how to ask for what I need it's been a a lifelong um, work for me I'm still working on it so I would say that the moments that for me were the worst um, would be when it was maybe already uh, an abusive type system, but that I, I saw other people successful in it. So that's why I opted in to work in these places, but um, I didn't have the personal, whether it be respect or um, awareness to uh, ask for what I needed. So I have like a a job where I took a, a, a job where I wanted to, work there and they were starting a takeout program. So I took this job where it was just me and a cook, but the cook didn't think that I knew anything. So I'd peel garlic and wait for the phone to ring or the iPad to ding. And then when they had a back waiter position open, I asked for it. They were like, well, we heard you being short on the phone one time with a customer. So you're not actually a good candidate for this. And for me, I was short on the phone with the customer because no one wants a long-winded answer when the answer is no. (laughs) (laughs) yes um but that was one there was another one where I had been yeah sold this kind of idea of um of service and it wasn't that way and I stayed there too long or another place where um I had a young manager and did not it got into a personal conflict with her. And then instead of being able to be like, I feel disrespected, I, I definitely would own that I got very upset and like 
it's not fair about it, which is my, my fault, as opposed to being able to be an adult, identify the problem. So I think that that's one thing in our industry would probably be, Ownership. and also guests, guests that are disrespectful. It's, um, if you, I, like I said, I'm, I'm very sensitive, so I get pretty affected by that. And there have been moments where I've needed another server to, to take over for me, but then I can't like shake it afterwards. And that's not very professional of me. But um, I think that those are the, the the challenges of this industry, and the answer is identifying ways that it would not feel like a, yeah. a system was broken, um, or removing myself if it was. But I think that there's just so many like magical moments. Like there are friends of mine that I met and instantly clicked, and I'm still so close with. The whole way that my wine career came about is entirely coincidental and I honestly believe magical especially based on who these winemakers are that I worked for. I was working at Pizzeria Delfina in the Mission then I transferred to the Pizzeria Delfina up in Pacific Heights close to the progress. This couple comes in it's kind of in the middle of the afternoon kind of slow the way that they order is interesting to me and they have these beautiful tattoos and I just compliment them on their tattoos and then, yeah, like I said, the way they order and like they're ordering like smaller snacks and they got one of each of the sparklings. And I'm like, you know something about food. And it turns out that these, it was Dylan and Toby Sheldon and they, um, they had been close with someone who was a wine director of, of Delfina who had passed away and they were bringing the wine that they had made in tribute to him to share with their friends and wanted to eat at Delfina as well. And I was like, huh, do you ever take uh, stages up at the winery? And Dylan wrote, I still have this piece of paper somewhere. He wrote his information really small and his tattooer's information really big because that's where the conversation started. And this was, yeah, this was like February, 2017. And in March or April, I went up for a two-day stage. He had me disgorging his sparkling program and climbing up barrels and stuff like that. And then um, in May, I took my intro exam and quit my job in August and moved up there and worked the full harvest season with Sheldon Wines and Inspiration Vineyards. Um, but amazing. that's where the magic is in our industry, like where that I I knew that there was some connection there, and they were just guests. They could they could have eaten their eaten their peas and burrata and Mergo sparkling and walked away, and I never would have known. But there's mo those moments like that are just I think the the most magical things. I think small things like that happen when you take care of people. And that's what I really felt like my job was. So I would say that the, yeah, the hardest parts have been moments of disrespect. And I own that I have maybe not the most practice methods of how I mitigate that for myself, but the magic of it all I is kept me in it forever. And the magic is people, it's all people. Yeah. Let's talk about inspirations, be big or small, but that had a really big and positive influence on you. I know you just talked about one of your managers and saying like, it's one of your favorite people, but is there anybody in this industry that really just makes you say yes and want to do more and be more and et cetera? Yeah, definitely. And I think that it's those people that hold community space. Like the whole reason I was able to pass my sommelier exam is because um, of Stevie and Josiah at Bay Grape over here in the East Bay and something that they do both for 
the industry and for just the general community is, I mean, before this quarantine, but every Monday they do a blind tasting flight. And it was not cheap, it was 20 bucks for the flight, or they did this amazing thing where they had maybe about 10 seats for a community class. And that was one of my favorite things is because it, they're married and one of them would pick the flight and the other person would teach class. So you have this like very high level experienced hospitality professional, but also someone who is experienced in teaching that was holding space. And the class was often not industry people. And sometimes someone would be like, wow, this really, this wine really reminds me of uh, my grandmother's lilac perfume. And then you'd be like, oh my God, it does smell like lilacs. Like, and, and it doesn't take, I think that's a misconception also about wine is that it's fancy and inaccessible, but everybody's smelled things before, you know, <laughs> you just don't know how to look. And so um, I would say that those two in the Bay and the space that they hold in terms of education are a huge inspiration to me. There's this saying of like, everyone is a star, you know? And so you find that little twinkle or that kind of like, special quality and lots of different people and so I would find people that I would go back to and the, the common thread is that usually they were restaurant people that would hold spaces that really make you feel like you're held people that are brave and people that love hard and that are creative um those are things I will say that I'm probably like music wise I'm probably if I had to really pick just one artist to listen to for the rest of my life, it'd be Nora Jones. Oh, that is a bad bitch, yo. Um, that's one of the best shows I've ever seen. Oh, I believe it. I saw her at the Hollywood Bowl, actually. I saw her and Valerie June opened. Oh! I did not know who Valerie June was. And so my first um, experience with her music was live. And I was like, oh. who is that? Um, her and Esperanza Spalding are like I don't know who that is I'll check oh she's oh they're both black they're both beautiful they're both like kind of weird and different but like can really really sing and can really really play their instruments like just talent across the board I saw Esperanza Spalding twice once at a jazz festival and then another time when she opened for Prince when he was still touring oh oh my god greatest concert of my life cheese cheese and rice man oh Anyway, I mean, that's what we're talking about are things that things that move you. So good. But I'm glad you know who Valerie June is because a lot of people don't. Oh, good. Um, yeah. A lot of people don't know about Esperanza Spalding. That's what I'm saying. Well, but I'm Nora saying. Jones, <laughs> I love her. She's actually, a, I don't know, a lot of people don't know this, but she's a classically trained jazz and classical. She's Robbie Shankar's daughter. Yes. And she can, oh my gosh, she can play not only just sing and write, but like, man, oh man. Ooh, I've, I've listened to Come Away With Me, like that entire album. Is that what it's titled? Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Yeah, it's like the blue background. Oh, and and she's time. like, her head is off to the side. But I literally put that in my Walkman and listened to it while I watered my neighbor's grass because that was a chore in my house growing up in Southern California, Los Angeles, <laughs> where we had to water our grass every day in the summer. And I literally listened to that and was like in an oasis. That and Jill Scott's first album. Ooh, I love that album too. I listened to that. Um, I remember being a kid and her second album came out, the, the yellow one, I think. It's yes. Coming Home. And that was one of my first Dolly Parton experiences is there's that Dolly Parton song on there. Yes. That was one of the first times that I like tried to sing harmony along to a song. I will say I also, I mean, 
I, it's funny that it hasn't come up to this moment, but the, the word harmony literally clicked in is that I actually was raised um, reformed Jewish, but pretty involved with my synagogue. Mm-hmm. And that's where I learned to play guitar when I was doing like song leading for kids. I was like a coordinator for youth group and was a song leader and a, a, a service leader in that sense. Um, I didn't like the community that was at my college. So I kind of got out of touch with that. But since um, in the last year, I started going to this synagogue here in Oakland, that's like a pretty radical synagogue. And it's very different than what I grew up with. But I was like, no, I'm serious. It's, so- well, it's just the words radical synagogue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. They're, they're like the, the most woke people I've ever met, these old Jewish people. I love it. But that I, I would go because every other week they'd have a, a Kabbalat Shabbat, which is a musical Shabbat. And I would sit in the back and, and sing. And I, I was able to make a couple of connections there, but just like, I think that that's been my inspiration is that both of my parents are are very Jewish and but what I love about my Jewish heritage and also where in this way both of my parents are extreme inspirations to me is this fundamental base of kindness as yeah. the the doing for other people is part of being a good Jew uh being in community eating together um sharing art and music and remembering the past and that it maybe wasn't as good but that there's a perseverance there and the perseverance lays in community and in kindness um it's a lighter um question but i want to know Donut, bagel, or Danish? Oh, I don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) Like a fuck, Mary Kill situation. No, you just got to pick one and then tell me why you pick one. Well, a Danish is okay, but like it's really donut or bagel is the real thing. (laughs) (laughs) No, people stand for Danishes, girl. I don't think I have that much Danish history to, to stand on. Um... Oh, I don't like this at all. Because I'm, I'm like a, so there's this great donut shop. There's a bunch of them in Seattle. But when I was a kid, there was only one called Top Pot. And they did all of these amazing, they still do these amazing donuts. And I, I think because of the quality of their cake donut, I'm a person that my favorite donut is chocolate with sprinkles. Like ah! it's, regular, it's a regular cake donut. It looks like the fucking Simpsons donut. Yes. Like, I, well, I, I think that one's pink, actually. Yes, but, it is. Um, <laughs> that's, you know we're real food people where we're like, what's in The Simpsons? What color is that donut? <laughs> we know food. <laughs> um, oh, man. Yeah, if you can get a good, like, regular cake donut with chocolate frosting and sprinkles, I want that with coffee every day. But I also want a bagel with lox every day so I I don't think I can answer that question and if anyone is in the Bay Area and has not yet had a boy chick bagel that's this um amazing queer owned uh bagel store in Berkeley um and they are the closest thing to New York bagels that I've ever had yeah um yeah I'm a big big fan I mean how could I I be Jewish and not say (laughs) Well, yeah, that's why I was curious because 
anybody that lives on the West Coast is probably going to say donut, and anybody that lives on the East Coast is going to say bagel, unless they live in Florida, which doesn't... I'm so Jewish that even a bad bagel is a good bagel. (laughs) Well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and yo I fuck with him too um like my- that, that would happen like after services yeah. like be a little own egg lunch it would be bagels they might not be good but you'd still eat it see so it was good. a complete opposite for me my mom and this she is the woman responsible for my donut um like just frenzy is because I'm like I said I'm from LA and we would get either and we went to we went to church in LA, like Inglewood, Inglewood. Um, and we would get Randy's donuts after service almost every other week. And then if we didn't get it after service, we would go the local one, which is literally, I've been to them all. People that know where I'm from, Stan, like Downey, California, I've been to every single donut shop in that goddamn, in a three mile radius, the one around the corner on Paramount and what is that, Stuart and Gray? Yes, the, on the corner of Paramount and Stewart and Gray, ABC Donuts, that's the best motherfucking donut spot in the world, and it just so happened to be across the street from my house. Girl. When I lived in LA, there, we lived around the corner from a Winchell's Donuts. Ooh, ooh, they, they're not bad, too, because they're happy, <laughs> you know what I mean? The only bad one is Yum Yum, and we don't fuck with Yum Yum. Just, oh, no. Oh, ooh, uh, anyway, yeah. I'm, I stand for donuts. Everybody knows this. If there's one thing you need to know about me, is that I'm black and that I love donuts. <laughs> I guess we're wrapping it up here pretty soon, honestly. It's been I mean, like it feels like we've been talking for two minutes because I love you, but <laughs> <laughs> it's, been, it's been a solid hour and a half. <laughs> Do you have any last minute thoughts or feelings that you want to express? Um, as I think about community organizing and as I think about um things in our industry and the, as the opportunities seem to be kind of like disappearing as the industry has to fundamentally change. I just think that anytime I have an opportunity to speak, whether it is just our moms listening, or if this reaches anybody else is that I just think it's so important to make sure to lift up the voices of people that aren't offered these chances to talk. And that, um, for example, like you and I, really fortunate that we were able to apply for unemployment and didn't have any or not that many glitches as it were. Um, but it's not even available to folks that are, uh, undocumented. And if they got, um, paychecks, they paid into it. Um, and I think that there, California, we're lucky to live here with a governor that is doing work to provide, um, a small undocu fund, but I think it's like a one-time $500 payment. So, I mean, this is just my plug to anybody listening to, um, if you are still employed, if you do have privilege to find something, um, there is here in the Bay Central Legal de la Raza has an undocu fund. I'm sure there's one locally, wherever you're listening from, um, urge you to contribute to that, contribute to whatever iteration. I mean, do your research because there's a lot of different people trying to raise yeah. money around Black Lives Matter right now, but there's a lot of bail funds for people that are protesting. This has nothing to do with restaurants, but has everything to do with hospitality. Exactly. Me. So I think that that's just something that I just want to make sure is said that we're, ta- we're talking about all these delicious and delightful things and that everybody deserves 
to have these moments and access to them and um and to not live worrying when they're gonna have a donut next so <laughs> <laughs> that is very true that that's my little I'll get I'll get right off my little soapbox but um just to make sure that with my privilege I I communicate that didn't remind people about the people that don't have yeah, as much representation awesome thank you so much uh for talking about you and how amazing and wonderful and you made me so comfortable and so vulnerable i hope that people think <laughs> think i'm crazy i mean i am crazy but i'm crazy in a good way so. no girl you like oh you so crazy not like <laughs> hide the knives or anything no um and i i do appreciate you taking the time and just yeah absolutely this is fun I told you being being vulnerable and organic and conversational like because that's the whole spiel of all this thing going around. Hopefully we'll do a part two very soon. <laughs> and yeah, I, you're the best. It's so fun. I love you so much. This is me signing off. Thanks again for listening, y'all. Please be sure to check out my social media on Twitter and Instagram on updates and notifications for future episodes. That is at Hungry Humble Pod. Again, at Hungry Humble Pod.